Hey everybody, I'm so glad you're joining us today here at Vertical Church. We believe we have a message of hope for our day that is relevant for our time, that is ready to hit our heart. So I want to start with uh, a movie title to me that is one of my favorite movie series and title. It is Back to the Future. Man, I love that whole trilogy of movies there. I like to watch it periodically. I haven't yet recently, but I probably will. So one of my favorite moments is at the end of the first movie when they've already discovered that the DeLorean has to hit 88 miles an hour before they can go into or back into the future. And they get into what is Doc Brown new vehicle that has come from the future. And as they get in and they get out on the road, Marty says, hey, we don't have enough room here in this road to get up to 88 miles an hour. And this is where Doc Brown makes a pretty interesting statement. He says, where we're going, we don't need roads. Road. Wow. So then he takes off, hits the air, goes off, and that's the end of the movie. So he makes this great statement, though, where we're going, we won't need roads. Hey, we all need roads. As far as we know, this is how we operate. This is how we get from one place to another. We use roads. They are the ways that we get from one place to another. So we have a hard time thinking about going to another place where they have another way of getting one place to another. But I love the fact that scripture says God's ways are not like our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. A lot of time you and I, we think we know how to get from point A to point B. And sometimes we second guess how we think God is going to get from point A to point B, get us from point A to point B, because we think we know the way. But he says, I have ways that are higher than your ways. And where you're going, we don't need roads like you think of them. Today we begin a brand new series called Kingdoms Out of Caves, and it'll help us understand what it means to see how God works and how he gets from point A to point B, and that sometimes it is not the way we thought it would be. He moves in a completely different way. In fact, when he sets out to do something big and something new and something fresh, he begins with something small. He begins in places of limitation. He begins in places of quietness. He begins in places of darkness. When God designed the human body, he designed that new life would come from a dark place, a small place, a limited place. He designed that life would begin in a womb, in a place where there was shelter. He designed life to begin with a seed, be planted in the soil, and there in the darkness, in the limitation, in the quietness, new life springs forth. And when God begins to do new things in our life, and when he begins to do things new in our world, he often does it in the limited, quiet, dark places that you and I would not have chosen if we were the ones choosing the way. 
Sometimes you and I have to go through a time of isolation before we can get to the place where we spring up above the surface. We have to go through a dark room before we can develop into what he has intended us to be. So we should never despise the day of the small things. Despise the day of the darkness. Despise the day of even having to shelter in place. God brings kingdoms out of shelter-in-place moments, out of caves. So our series begins in 1 Samuel. And now I'm going to have to set up the story here with the characters to help you see how this is all going to unfold and for us to understand the story completely. And I'd like to use some of our vertical folks here to help with this. So the book of 1 Samuel is about a man named Samuel. So let me have our Samuel character come up on stage. Nick's going to represent Samuel today, and he's carrying a Bible. He's going to represent Samuel, the priest and prophet. So Samuel, if you'll just stand right here in the middle, come on over. Samuel's priest and prophet who hears from God, acts on behalf of God, does what God tells him to do. And Samuel's in search of a king, and God tells him who's going to be king. He chooses a man, appoints and anoints a man, and that man's name is Saul. He's big. He's a military leader. He's got great strength. He's got great might. And so our Saul today, yes, it's Justin. So Justin, hang out over here in the corner. Perfect. Yes. This is Saul today. Samuel has chosen Saul, king of Israel, military leader. Yes. Looking very regal over there, Saul. Looking awesome. So Saul has a family, and we... We're going to use two of the characters today. Let me have them go ahead and make their way on up here to the stage. Because he has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan is his delight. Jonathan's close to him. Jonathan works in the military with him. Jonathan has been played by Aaron today. Stand there with him. And he has a daughter as well. He has more daughters. But we're going to have Taylor represent Michael today. So here's the Saul, lovely royal family today. Father, military leader, king, Son, Jonathan, serves in the military. Daughter, beautiful daughter, Michael as well. Samuel's pleased because he's chosen the king that God would have over Israel. But in time, Saul begins to not be exactly everything Samuel thought he would be. Saul begins to become arrogant. Saul becomes a little independent. Saul says, I'll make the decisions. I'll do what I want. I'm not going to let God or anybody else tell me what to do, in effect, is what Saul does in his life. And so Saul goes to war without seeking God's direction. And then on another occasion when Samuel was supposed to go and be the one to offer sacrifices to the Lord, Samuel hadn't arrived yet and Saul said, hey, why not me? How come I can't just go into the holy place and do this myself? So arrogant Saul does that. And Samuel is disappointed, frustrated, because king that was supposed to be wise and having a heart for God now has a heart more for himself than anyone else. As time passes, Samuel's more and more frustrated with this, and God tells Samuel something that he'd never thought he'd hear, that it would be time to go and tell Saul, God has rejected you from being king you will no longer get to wear the crown. Now, this, is, of course, is upsetting to Saul. Military leader, got his family, a lot going on. This is not what he thought would happen. So we get a little pause in Scripture while Saul is in his anger and frustration, and we're introduced to another character at this point because God begins the search for who will be king next. 
And this process leads Samuel to go to a family uh, where the dad's name is Jesse and he has a lot of sons and he goes through all the sons and the long story there we're going to shorten today because at the end of it, God chooses an unsuspecting boy in that family to be the next king and that boy is David. David is a shepherd boy. David is musical. David is talented. So of course, it's Caleb today as David. He's in the corner. He is the one who is the shepherd to the sheep. He is one who has a heart for the Lord. And Samuel anoints him to be king. He's young. He doesn't have all the experience that Saul and others had in the leadership of a nation, but he sure fought off a lot of enemies and protected some sheep. And so Samuel anoints David to be king. And Saul doesn't understand all of this yet. But Saul is increasingly frustrated. Saul is increasingly angry. Let's see some anger there, Saul. Yeah, there you go. So along the way, a story happens in the Bible that we know of as David and Goliath. David goes out to battle because Saul and his men have not been able to defeat this giant, the Philistine giant who has been really harassing the people of Israel. But David goes out with his sling and his stone and he hurls the rock. And, those, and though uh, Goliath had said, I'm coming at you with my spear and sword, David said, that's okay, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he put him down and he knocked him down and he killed him and that was the end of him. And so David becomes trusted in Saul's kingdom. Sorry, David, come on over to uh, the kingdom over here. This is Saul and Saul loves David now for a while. Although Saul doesn't have a clue of what's coming up yet. But David becomes so loved in the family that even on occasion when Saul is struggling, when he has this, when he has some angst and depression and anger going on inside him, he would say, hey, you shepherd boy, play some music for me. It helps me. So he would play some music, soothe old Saul's angry, mean heart. It worked for a while, but Saul, so mean, so angry, that after a while he started to get frustrated with old David didn't like his music much anymore because word got around about David being such a powerful giant killer. In fact, a song became popular in the, in the country. A song became popular on the radio that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. David likes that song. Saul doesn't like that song. Every time it comes on, it gets him angry, makes him mad. And so David's trying to soothe his beautiful music and Saul gets so angry that he picks up a spear on two occasions and tries to throw it at David to kill him. And David leaves. This is not a safe place to be anymore. During this time, some things have happened, though, behind the scenes. You see, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David became best buds. And they became really really affection with one another. They enjoyed each other's presence, became great friends. So Jonathan, come on over here, hang out with David. Man, they were such great friends. They even cut a covenant with one another and said, dude, we are going to be friends for life. Where you go, I go. And they are great warrior friends together, serving in the military together. So Jonathan's having a little bit of an allegiance issue though, because dad's over there. Best bud, David is here. And then along the way, David, I mean, uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, sorry, Saul, but she falls in love with, with old David. And they eventually get married. Saul's okay with it, though, because he thinks this might be David's undoing. Because David 
has an assignment. Before you can marry Michael, Saul says, all right, that's fine. You can marry her. I need you to go out and kill some Philistines for me first. David says, all right. He goes out and does it, comes back victorious. Saul, mm, he's really frustrated with old David because now Samuel's on David's side. Jonathan's on David's side. Michael's on David's side. The whole culture's on David's side. They're all singing David's praises. And here's Saul. He's still angry. He's still frustrated. And the way the Bible describes the story is that he becomes so angry, so frustrated, that he sets out to kill David. Mm. Now, this is where our passage begins today. Hey, thank you all very much. You can go off. Thank you all so much for setting the stage today. Now, we all have a picture in our mind of all the characters on our stage. We begin in 1 Samuel 22. We're in verses 1 and 2 today. And in these two verses, we're going to see what happens to David. David, if you remember, has been appointed and anointed to be the next king. Saul, who was king, was not too excited about that prospect. And Saul is going to do everything he can to keep David from becoming the reigning king. And he begins to hunt David. He begins to pursue David. He begins to use all of his military to chase David. And David is running for his life. On another occasion, David is in a city and he is talking to the king there and the king recognizes David and say, hey, aren't you that one that Saul's pursuing? And David recognizes, I've got to get out of this moment. And the Bible says that David pretends to kind of be out of his mind. He pretends like he's got some psychological problems. He starts foaming at the mouth and crawling around on the ground and they say, hey, get that guy out of here. They dismiss David and send him out. David is being pursued, and this is where our verse begins today, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. It says, therefore, or David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David, the king, is having to hide in a cave. David, who should have been in a palace, is having to hide in a hole in the ground. But this is where God always begins his greatest work. Caves are where vision is born. You see, in this moment, because David is running for his life, he finds himself in a cave, and he's having to shelter in place. This isn't what he chose. It's not what he wanted. It's not what he thought was going to be next for his life. As far as he could see, he had been appointed and anointed to be king, and he was on his way to that place. But the one who was king at the time refused to let that happen. David should have been reigning from a throne, but he was having to hide in a cave. David should have been able to rule, but he was having to run. David should have been fighting for the sake of freedom, but he was fighting for his life. This is, where, this is not where David wanted to be. But it's fascinating to me how accurate and specific and clear the Bible is because it says David was hiding in the cave of Adullam. It's the word that, um, that it refers to a town that was nearby to begin with. It was a cave that was near the city, but the city had this name for a specific reason. It was the name that meant the justice 
of the people. Justice for the people, where righteous decisions were made on behalf of the people. And David is hiding in a place that means justice while he's facing the most incredible injustice. This is not fair what David is having to go through. This is not right. He shouldn't have to hide at this time in his life. He should be ruling and reigning. He hadn't done anything wrong. He is only acting on what God called him to do. He was only doing when he hurled that stone what God called him to do. He was only doing what he had been called to do when he befriended Jonathan, when he married Michael. He was only doing what God had called him to do. And here he was all of a sudden having to face the wrath of a king and hide in a cave. But kingdoms always begin in caves. God's ways, his path, his point A to point B are not our ways, our point A to point B. We naturally don't like limited, small, dark places, especially when we think we deserve big, open, clear, free spaces. Yet David is inside a cave. You know, sometimes that happens in life, though. We're moving along at a pace that we think is the path that God has for us. And all of a sudden, crisis hits. All of a sudden, job situation changes. All of a sudden, financial situation changes. Health changes. Things change in life, and we find ourselves in a moment of great limitation. We find ourselves in a place where we can't see past the moment. It can happen in our marriage. It can happen in parenting. It can happen in relationships. We find ourselves all of a sudden in a cave. And those moments are the moments that God is preparing to do something great if you'll recognize it for what it is. If you'll trust God's ways and not your own ways, his path from point A to point B, not your path from point A to point B. God was going to do something great here because this was David. This was the one who was supposed to be king next. And when I look at our world today, I find um, there's all of a sudden not just one person or one family, one state or one nation having to shelter in place. We're seeing something globally happen where the entire world is facing a crisis that has caused them to have to pull into a limited dark, unknown space. This tells me that what God is preparing, if I look at his ways, is something bigger than what you and I can imagine. If it's on that scale, then some kind of change is coming on that same scale. When he wants to change a man, he'll put him in a cave. If he wants to change a family, he'll put them in a cave. If he wants to change a nation, he'll put them in a cave in a cave, but God is changing our world and kingdoms always arise from caves. You know, even for David, he probably thought, I'm a king. What am I doing here? But you think about what is it that a king needs? If he's going to be king and he's going to be great, what is it that a king needs? Does he need to have organizational skills? Sure. 
Does he need to have military strategy? Yes. Does he need to have uh, great compassion for the people? Yes. All those are great and important. But from what we read in scripture, what we know from history, if you're going to be a king, the very thing that you need to understand clearly is the ability to make wise decisions based on truth, not on emotion, to make decisions based on what God has said, not what others say. And the king who has this understands justice. A king must have an understanding of justice, how to make just decisions, how to know what is right in any given moment. So here is God preparing David to be king, and he takes him to school first. And how does he do it? He puts him in a most unfair, unjust situation in a cave called justice and teaches him a lesson about justice. God always begins his greatest work in caves. So don't despise your time in the cave. The second part of verse 1 in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 22 says this. It says, so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So word began to get out that David was in a cave. His family heard about it. His close family heard about it. And they didn't run. Instead, they went to him. They didn't go away from him. They went to him. They went down to the place where he was because they went to be a help to David. They didn't go there to say, oh, poor David. They went there to encourage David. They went there to gather with David. They risked their safety to be with David. They went to be in the cave with David. It's in a cave where family is forged. David was locked down, sheltered in place, learning lessons from God. But it was here that family would be forged. It is here that his own family would come and they would gather together and they would be an encouragement to him, give hope to him and say, what can we do, David? Let's see what God has to say. It's in our time of crisis that, uh, that families pull together. It's during this time when families reach out and care for each other. And it's during this time when we do that as a church, we are family as well. And some of the things that are happening behind the scenes where people are caring for one another, I get to hear those stories of this person was in need and prayed and this person responded and gave to them what they needed. This person was struggling with fear and anxiety. This person became a voice of hope and help. This person was in need of some physical resources. This person made sure they got it. This is what families do. They come together in the time of the shelter. They come together in the time of the cave and they reach out during this time and the relationships that are forged in the cave are great, are powerful, are deep. For David, this must have been somewhat like a, a family reunion. 
Everyone's all gathering in. And he's, people, he's seeing people he hadn't seen in a while. And they're all banding together. They're saying, we're here with you. We're going to be with you in the cave. We're going to shelter in place with you. We're going to hunker down together. We're going to help. We're going to support because God is doing something great. And we, we want to be part of it. It's in a cave that that vision comes together. It's in the cave, in the darkness, in the limitation that all of a sudden there begins to be a little bit of order to what seemed like just a vision to begin with. You know, David himself would write in Psalm 139 and talk about how God had given him purpose in his life and that before he was even born, God knew him. That when he was even yet in his mother's womb, God was working. In fact, David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 13, he said, For you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together. You interwove all of the basic parts of my being, all of the fibers of me. You began to weave together my bones and the sinews and the muscles and the tissue. You knit them together with your design, with your purpose. And he says, you did it all in my mother's womb. He did the work of putting together the vision to become something great while he was still in the shelter in place place. There in his mother's womb is where he knit him together. And I have to think, David is probably thinking, you know, this cave, this whole shelter and thing, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's dark. It's limited. We can't get a lot of people in here. I'm, I'm very limited in what I can do. But God is knitting something together right now in this place. God is knitting something together for a purpose. And when this that's happening in the cave is born, watch out, it's going to be new life because David knew he had been anointed and appointed and his his time would come. So he did not despise his time in the cave. David's not hiding in fear. David's not hiding and complaining. David is making the most of this moment and he's strategizing for what is next. And what happens next is beyond even what David probably thought would happen. In the, in the verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22, it says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. You see, word began to get out in the region. Hey, David is in the cave. Yeah, you know the one that God has called to be the next king? Yeah, the one that's going to replace Saul? He's going to come and he's going to bring righteousness to the land. He's going to bring justice to the land. He's going to be the one who seeks God's heart and lead us. And everybody, it says, in the area who was in distress. In other words, they were at a place where they were filled with anxiety. They were stressed. They didn't know what was going to happen in their own lives. They were uncertain about the future. They didn't know what was going to happen with Saul and what he was doing. They were distressed and they said, we've got to get to David. Also, it was those who were in debt. 
those who were in over their head, those who didn't have the ability to pay their bills, those who had become slaves of others, they said, we've got to go find a new king. We've got to go find the one who's the promised deliverer. We've got to go to the one who can bring us some hope. And they left town and went to where David was. But it said it was also those who were discontent, those who were in the area, and they were just, they were frustrated with life. They'd been hurt and taken advantage of. They'd seen how things were going and they didn't like it. They were, they were filled with some angst. They were filled with some sense of this isn't right. And they all went down to where David was. All of these did. Those in distress, those in debt, and those who were discontent. They all came to David because David had a voice of hope. David had some answers for what would be next. David had some answers about what was going to change. David had a vision for what waited on the other side. And when people hear hope and when people hear vision and when people hear life, they'll go to wherever that is. So don't despise the time in the cave. Don't just be bitter in the cave. Don't just complain in the cave. Start making plans for what's on the other side of the cave. Start making plans for the new life that's going to be beyond the cave. Start making plans for how you are going to be as a family, as a church, what we are going to do to impact our world with the new life that comes out on the other side of the cave. Verse 2, the second part says, So he, David, became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. David didn't waste his moment. He didn't just say, well, what a fine lot this is. Bunch of discontented, in debt, people who have come down together, they don't know what to do. Well, now what are we gonna do? No, David said, this is my moment. I've shepherded sheep before who are in the same place. I know what to do. This is my moment. And David became the leader in that moment. He didn't have to have a throne. He just had to have his calling. He didn't have to have a palace. He just had to have the promise. He didn't have to have everything like he wanted it to be. He just had everything he knew that God had given him to be. And he used this moment to rise up and be the leader. Just because your circumstances, my circumstances, our circumstances are not what they thought, are not what we thought they were going to be today, should not stop us from being what we've been called to be today. You and I as the church should stand up into the promise of what we have been called and what we have been made. David, I'm sure, had to say, look, I may be in a cave right now, but I'm still a king. I may be in a place of limitation right now, but that's not going to stop me from leading. I may be in a place right now where I don't have a throne, but I'm going to reign. I'm going to care for people. I'm going to set the captives free. We're going to make a difference. We're going to come out of this cave and use the time in the cave. And this is what you and I have to do today. Don't use this time and waste it. Don't let it be something that makes every day darker for you. Don't let this be a time that we as a church sit in inactivity. Let it be the time that we rise up with even greater activity and say, this is our time. We may be limited from the outside, but we are unlimited on the inside. And we're going to stand up into who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the light of the world. We are the ones who have been given promises 
We are the ones who have been seated with him in heavenly places while I'm seated on my couch in my house. We are the ones who have been given a responsibility and a rule to reign in this life and get others to the place where they can be free and to let our lives be the place where they shelter and find shelter and hope. This is what you and I are called to be. So we have to say, we have to say, I may be in a cave. I may be in a shelter in place. This is not going to stop me from being what God's called me to be. I'm a child of the king. He's made me to reign. He's given me an inheritance. He's given me rule. He's given me responsibility. And I may be in a cave, but that's not going to stop him from working in me and through me. I will be a voice of hope. I will be a voice of light. You might say, well, I'm at a time in my marriage right now where I feel like I'm, I'm in a cave. It's not like I want it to be. Don't let that stop you from being the spouse God's called you to be. You might say, well, I feel like I'm in a, a cave right now with my kids. I don't even know how to parent during this time. Look, don't let this time stop you from being all God has called you to be. Don't let limitations of finances stop you from being responsible with what God has given you and what he's called you to. This is time we rise up into what God's called us to be, even while we're in the cave. This is our time, even though we're sheltered in place. I believe God is doing something in us during this time. I believe he is knitting together a powerful force that will be the church. This is where vision is born. This is where life happens. This is where we get the next step. This is the time that we shelter in place only to pray in this place and only to seek what's going to be next. So be the church this week. Be the church to the people around you. You've got an audience in your home. Be the church there in your home. Be the church to your friends. Don't let the inability of meeting face-to-face -face stop you from showing them grace. Somebody needs some hope today. Someone needs some help today. Speak life to them. Speak hope to them. Rise up in this. Let this be our time where God works a brand new kingdom, a new season out of a time of the cave. I'm excited about the next several weeks because many other things happen to David while he's in this cave. David is going to write some psalms in this cave. David is going to take some action in this cave. David's going to have some opportunities in this cave that will transform him and make him the great king that he will one day be. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Father, I thank you even for times of the cave. For it's in a cave that you bring forth new life. It's in a cave in the darkness that new hope springs up. It's in the darkness that new life develops and we see the picture on the other side. I pray for all of those who are watching that we, as your people, would have hope in this day, that this would ignite us in this day that like David, we'd not be silent in the cave. We would be strategizing in the cave. And for those who are watching who are without hope today and don't know you and don't know life in you, I pray they would bow their hearts to you, cry out to you to be rescued, to be set free from their guilt, 
that they cry out to the one Jesus who has come to free them from their sin, who offers them hope and life in this life and after this life. And that by crying out, crying out for forgiveness, crying out in gratefulness and accepting Jesus as Lord of their life, that they would find new life. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this day and this time for being our great God, the one who brings hope out of the darkness, who brings kingdoms even out of caves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.